Jesus, uh, even in this situation, in this separation that we're sitting in, Lord, we know that you are with us. Uh, so we pray, Lord, from wherever we are, that you would give us attentive hearts to what you're saying to us through your word and that you would be uh, showing us the, the glorious grace of Jesus and transforming us to be more like him. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm actually uh, <laughs> kind of excited to talk to you about this part of the Bible that we're in today. We're in uh, Luke chapter 13, verses 10 to 21. If you've got your, your Luke scripture journal there, open it up. If you've got a Bible, also open that up if, you, if that's what you've got. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sad that I don't get to talk to you about this bit in person, actually. Uh, it's, a, it's an exciting thing. Uh, I'm excited because this passage we're coming to today uh, is, is, is full of powerful, practical truth that first leads us to the, the grace that is in Jesus. It leads us to encounter Jesus and how graciously good he is in the small things and the big things. And then it leads us to bring his grace to others in really practical ways. That's what I've found digging through this text this week. I hope that's what you'll find as we go to it today. Our passage today centres on this scene working out in a, in a synagogue. Uh, this is the last time, actually, that we see Jesus in a synagogue in the Gospel of Luke, fun fact there. Uh, and in some ways, uh, what we see here isn't going to be all that uh, surprising. It's not going to come as anything greatly new. Jesus miraculously heals a person uh, in terrible need. Uh, once again, Jesus goes beyond the limits uh, that, that others would have placed on him to spread the kingdom of God uh, and to display its power. That's why this series is called Luke the Limitless Gospel, right? Jesus breaks the limits in everything he does. Uh, but as we look at Jesus' actions in this passage, uh, I believe we're actually meant to look and see uh, a pattern, or, or better still, better to see an example. An example of how the kingdom of God is to grow and to spread. And if you're a Christian, I hope that that gets your attention. I hope that that gets your ears pricked up. Uh, since we planted this church, there's been probably one prayer that's been uttered more often than any other in within the congregation of this church. God, let your kingdom come powerfully here in various different wordings. But we want to see God's kingdom grow here, we want to see people saved, to see churches grow, to see souls won out of death and into life in Jesus' name. We want to see the kingdom grow here. We pray for it, we long for it, we sing about it. And so I hope that a passage that shows us how the kingdom is to grow is a thing that's of interest to you if you're a Christian. Uh, if that's what you want, then then. We need to sit up and listen to this, right? Because in this passage, Jesus models how that is to happen. So the first thing that we see here is that Jesus sees a need. Luke tells us that Jesus is teaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath. Uh, he is spreading the good news of the kingdom with his words. Nothing unusual there, but still it's important to note. But then Luke introduces another person to the story, uh, a woman is in the synagogue, uh, and she has a painful disability. 
Luke describes her as having a, a disabling spirit, which might mean that there was a demonic origin in what's happening here. It's a bit unclear. But, but when we meet her, it seems, regardless of how this started, uh, that she's basically just physically disabled. Uh, she can't stand up straight, noticeably hunched over all the time, kind of like, kind of like this, possibly through a, a fusion of the spine, uh, of the vertebrae. Uh, we don't get to know that, but she is forced into this kind of permanent position of humility and of discomfort, uh, and maybe even of humiliation, really that inhibits her ability to speak to others and to live her life in a normal way. But today, her life changes. She uh, gets seen by Jesus. Jesus sees her. Luke writes, when Jesus saw her. Now, just pause on that. Being seen by Jesus is unlike being seen by anyone else. Because when Jesus sees you, he sees all of your needs all of your brokenness, and he loves you. And that's what we see here. He calls her over, he lays his hands on her, and he frees her from her disability. He heals her. And that's our, our second thing that happens. He acts to fill the need. He just, he just sees the need and he acts to fill it. And, and the result is that the woman glorifies God. She's heard him speak the good news right there in that synagogue that day. Her need has been filled, and the result is that she glorifies God. Jesus has led her into relationship with God. So Jesus sees a need, he acts to fill the need, and he does it to the glory of God. He does it for the spread of the gospel. And then we get, we get a, a, an opposing voice enters the story. And, and a significant one, the ruler of the synagogue is indignant. Now, this is the guy who was kind of in charge of the ceremonies, in charge of how things ran in the synagogue. He was a big voice. He thinks that Jesus, by healing this woman on the Sabbath, has actually broken God's law that said you'll work six days and rest one day. How Jesus responds, uh, actually, points out the fatal flaw in the thinking of this guy and also gives us some indication of Jesus' mentality in helping this woman. It's, it's really interesting. He, first, he points out the hypocrisy of the religious leaders, like this ruler, right, who would untie their animals on the Sabbath but would not just, uh, not just refuse to, to help, to personally help this woman, to personally heal this woman on the Sabbath, but given the chance, they would deny her the chance to be healed by anyone on the Sabbath. Uh, they would say it needs to wait until Monday. And, and Jesus has got a point, right? Uh, the, the Jewish writings, not the Old Testament, uh, the, the rabbinical writings, had loads of rules around uh, what you could and couldn't do with an animal on the Sabbath, specifically like how you could tie them up, what ropes you could put around them, where the rope could hang between their ears, that sort of thing. Uh, and so like, they, they had all of these rules about caring for, uh, about not working too much with an animal on the Sabbath, but you're allowed to do a little bit on it because you're going to need to do that because that's really important. Yet they saw it as a breach of God's law to release this woman from her painful disability. I mean, it's not like Jesus actually did much work-wise, right? 
He hasn't done any onerous tasks. All he really does is he speaks to her and he lays his hands on her and she's healed. It's, it's a small thing he does as far as the workload goes. What does that say about their view of the worth of human life? And yet Jesus doesn't just heal her physically. Um, what we see in one of his words to this rule of the synagogue is, is that he actually restores her worth and her dignity with his words. He says, she's a daughter of Abraham. Doesn't she deserve better treatment than your donkey? One crucial mistake that we might make as we come to this story um, is that we approach it with the question, which one am I like, Jesus or the ruler of the synagogue? Am I more compassionate or am I more hypocritical? Am I more loving or am I more of a legalist? But the problem is, if we want to end up being like Jesus, which let's acknowledge is the aim, we would like that, then we must first acknowledge that the person that we most that we should most identify with in this story is the woman. It's funny, we can, we can make the same mistake as the ruler did, right? We, we miss the woman in the story. Uh, uh, in our pride, we compare ourselves to, to the good guy and the bad guy, but first of all, we need to realise we're the needy person. For every Christian, this woman's physical condition actually reflects who we were. Uh, and how Jesus found us. We were broken and hopeless. We were desperately needy and without any other real hope in the world apart from him. And not just like, not just that, we, we, we are like her in the fact that we were broken and needy and we find our needs and brokenness met and provided for in Jesus. When we come to Jesus in all of our brokenness, to our joy, we find that he forgives our sin. That he loves us so much that he died to take our sin on himself, to take our punishment for us. And not just that, the power of his death and resurrection, they work out in our lives now in gracious transformation. Through his spirit, he's working to change us for the better, to make us more like his perfection. And not just that, he even promises that because he is risen from the dead, we can be sure that he will come back and that he will make all things new. All the brokenness and all of our sin and all of the tears of this world will end when Jesus returns and he will make it right. You know, for a broken people like us, what an amazing change. We are, we are like a woman whose back was fused together, who gets healed by Jesus and brought into relationship with God. She's just like us. We're just like her. If you, if you don't know the grace that's in Jesus, maybe you're watching this this morning and, and you go, but I'm, I'm not a Christian. I, I don't know that. Um, please, trust in him. If you put your trust in Jesus, turn away from your sin and brokenness. Give it to him. Give it to him in prayer today. And say, Jesus, I, I, I'm like that woman. I'm broken. I need you. I can't get my life in order. I can't fill the hole inside of me. You can find the joy of knowing Jesus 
you can find the grace of Jesus. And please, if that's you, get in touch with us, right? Uh, please get in touch with us here at Gospel Church. Come along uh, for a service if you live in our area after this lockdown. The, the church is a community of, of broken, needy people like you and like me who, are, who have found grace in Jesus and who encourage each other in living in that grace. You need a community around you. Please do come along. But uh, stepping back into the story now, um, what we've seen so far to summarise is that Jesus sees a need, he acts to fill that need, and, and he does it to the glory of God. And, and that roots in his selfless, self-giving love, as opposed to the, the ruler's selfish legalism. But having said all of that, this isn't actually where the story ends. Um, this isn't the end of this little encounter in the Bible. Still in the synagogue, Jesus actually tells these two parables. Uh, we, we know that. We know that this is still part of the same story because when Luke writes it, he writes, he said, therefore, uh, and therefore, the therefore there, uh, means that what these two parables say is, is Jesus' reflection in the moment on what's just happened. So what does Luke write? He writes, he said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again, he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It's like the leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Now, on first reading, we probably look at that and go, what does that have to do with what's just happened? It's, it's awfully tempting when you read Luke's Gospel here to do that thing that we do sometimes when we read the Bible and just separate it into two parts and, and not worry about how they're connected to each other. Uh, to, to divorce it from the situation that, that it's spoken into. And people have got into a lot of trouble doing that with this particular passage. Um, People have argued from these two parables that Jesus is describing the kingdom of God spreading in the form of Christian nations, uh, blooming and growing as Christian nations gain dominance and eventually the new heavens and the new earth, earth will begin because God, God's people rule because we've taken over the world and because we have made the world perfect. But there's... there's Two, probably more than two, really, but there's two huge problems with that. First, whilst the gospel has spread around the world, and whilst this does to some extent describe the gospel spreading around the world, there aren't any genuine Christian nations. Though there are nations with more Christians in them, there are nations that have been influenced by Christianity, but, but some of the most Christian nations ever are the ones that come birthed World War One and Two, right? <laughs> that was our great Christendom, if you will. No, no, the idea that the world will become perfect because of just the church is crazy. We need Jesus to come back. Sin is here until he returns. But the second is that it's just not what Jesus is saying. He's talking about the spread of the kingdom of God. That's true, how it grows. But if we connect these parables to the situation Jesus is in, 
in, in the synagogue, with the woman, with these people, uh, which is what Luke demands that we do with the way that he's written this, with the fact that he put that therefore there, then we see a very different meaning here. What Jesus does is he attaches immense kingdom significance to small acts of mercy like this one. If you boil down these two parables, uh, the point seems to be that the kingdom of God is like something small that grows into something big. And in context, the small seems to be, uh, the sorry, the small seeds of the kingdom, the, the, the tiny bit of leaven that eventually has a big effect, is the small acts of compassion, the of seeing and filling a need to the glory of God. And Jesus says that this is how the kingdom of God spreads. Not by armies, not by force, not by powerfully opinionated people or by big big institutions. Jesus says if you want to see big kingdom things happen, well, this is what you need to do. If you want to see God's kingdom being built, if you want this, then then it begins with small acts of compassion. In fact, small acts of compassionate gospel faithfulness to the glory of God. When a sick person is healed, when a hungry person is fed, when a mourning person is given comfort, and when these things result in glory to God, when they are kingdom-oriented acts, not just out of well, I'm a good person because I so, I so I care for that person, but wow, God is good, so I care for that person. When they point to his grace, when they point to his gospel intentionally, that's how the kingdom spreads. So, <clears throat> so how does this apply? Here and now, 2020, York Peninsula, or wherever you are, how does this apply to our lives as the people of God? How are we to go about this? Well, first and foremost, we need to remember what we've already seen a bit, that, that, that we are not the same as Jesus. We are first the needy before we are the sent. This is so vital, so vital that we understand this. We are the needy who find ourselves provided for in Jesus. If followers of Jesus don't get that, then we will we'll walk away from, from a message like this looking to be Jesus. We'll, we'll be going out thinking that we will save the lost, that we will do it in our own power, that, that we will satisfy the needy in our own strength. But the point is that having found that we, we needy are provided for in Jesus, it's then that we're equipped to be kingdom spreaders. At the end of our passage from last week, uh, Jesus gave us a parable about a fig tree that didn't bear fruit. And the point there was that we are meant to be turning to Jesus in repentant need. But also the implication was that turning to him in repentant need will lead to bearing fruit for the kingdom. So do you see, we're meant to spread the kingdom. We are meant to do that. We're meant to be a part of that. But from a position of needy dependence on Jesus. It has to be based on his provision to us before we provide anything to anyone. Really, in the end, 
when we live out gospel faithfulness in Jesus, he spreads the kingdom through us. But having understood that we are the needy, we can then draw some, some lessons from the work of Jesus here on how we are to live on the mission that he works out through us. And if you're, if you're a Christian, you are sent on that mission, by the way. Jesus says in Matthew 28 to his disciples, and by implication to all of his disciples through all of history, go therefore and make disciples. In John 21, he says to them, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Jesus came for the lost and now he is reaching the lost through his people. That's his chosen way of doing this. You are chosen by him to be a part of that if you're a Christian. So what are the practical lessons now? What are the practical lessons that we see in Jesus here for how we are to live as his sent people? How we are to live for his kingdom to grow here where we are? And really what we find is just these two very practical, down-to-earth practices that mark the life of those who live for the growth of the kingdom. First, uh, we see in Jesus that you need to be close enough to people to see them and to see their needs. You know, this could be a, a real challenge for a lot of us. I think. There's a real tendency for Christians to wall ourselves in we can tend to shut ourselves off to kind of do the Christian bubble thing. Um, but, but, I'm sorry, lost my words there. There's a real tendency for us to wall ourselves in. Yeah, which, which means we don't have meaningful contact with those who don't know Jesus. We, we separate ourselves from that. But again, um, Vitally, it's because we understand that Jesus meets us in our needs that we are empowered to go places where we will see, uh, see the needs of others. It's as we see the Saviour who went to, to the synagogue and to the cemetery, to, the, to Samaria and to the roads and to the towns and to the cities uh, and, and met all sorts of people in those places and ate with them and got to know them. It's when we see him that we are driven to follow him, to be his disciples in going places where we can see people and see their needs. Even more than that, as we encounter the Saviour who is God himself, and yet Paul tells us in his letters to the Philippians, he writes that Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, that emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And when we see the Saviour who would go so far out of his way to put himself in the context of the need, that he would leave heaven and die for us, then we see that Jesus is the ultimate example of going out of your way to meet the need, to encounter sinners and to meet their needs. And that drives us, that empowers us to do the same because he went out of his way for us. 
this need to be close enough to people to see them may apply to you um, in, in, a, in a few different practical ways. Like I said, there's a real tendency among Christians that we uh, get into the, the Christian bubble, uh, where, where even if we ever think, you know, I need to tell people about Jesus, the immediate next thought is, wow, but who? I don't know anyone apart from the you know, cashier at the checkout. Um, I don't interact with people outside of a Christian circle. It's not part of my life. So how can God call me to do that? I don't, I don't know people who aren't Christians. Uh, for that person, if, that, if that's you, there's a real challenge for you here. And I want, I want you to try your best to stay open to it. Because this is really important. To follow Jesus, to be a disciple of Jesus is going to require some restructuring of how you live your life. It's going to require seeking out contexts in which you have regular contact with people outside of the Christian faith. It might sound scary to some people. It might sound uh, a bit intimidating, but it's what we're called to. And it's, it's, it's not as terrifying as all of that. Don't let that lie seep in that says that this is the big thing that's impossible to do. You know, it can look a thousand different ways. Perhaps you just intentionally start inviting over your neighbours for meals. Perhaps you take a Christian friend and, and then you join a sporting club where there's a bunch of people who like Christians. Perhaps you volunteer together at a, at a community organisation. At one point when I was... Struggling with this myself, uh, I just started walking to work and, and making sure that I took the time to stop and to talk to anyone on my street who uh, who happened to be there, who I got the chance to talk to. Uh, that's not accessible to everyone. If you work in Middleton or live in Brentwood, the, it's a bit of a walk. But but what I'm trying to say is that we are called to live lives that enable the mission of Jesus, that 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 reflect it, but. But that doesn't usually mean that you have to uproot your life and move to Tanzania or something. It just means you need to seek out places where people are and exist there, be there. But then the, the second practical lesson, which, which we have to build onto that first one, is that we're not just called to be in those contexts, but to live there with gospel intentionality, with, with gospel compassion. We need to see a part of our purpose there as seeing needs and seeking to fill those needs for the glory of God. A lot of us already have those places in our lives where we, we interact day by day with people who have needs, but it's not just being there that we're called to. The ruler of the synagogue was there. He was in charge of the place where this woman with this disability had probably been coming for, you know, decades, you know, probably for that 18 years since she became disabled. She's been coming into this place, and yet there's no indication that this guy's even seen her, that he's even cared for her in any way. She's come in, she's heard the sermons, and she's gone home uncared for, unloved. But the difference between Jesus and the ruler of the synagogue is that Jesus goes into that context and he sees her, and he seeks to care for her. And once again, we're empowered to do this ourselves 
by the fact that Jesus has first done this for us. Let our kindness never come from a self-saviorism that says that we can do this, that I'm enough for this person because I have it all together. No, we are equipped to care for needy people because of how much care we receive from Jesus, how powerfully he has gone out of his way to love us and meet us in our need and to bring us home to God. Now, we're not like Jesus. We, we can absolutely pray for healing for sick people, encourage you to do it. You may see some people healed, but sometimes that's all you can do. And sometimes it doesn't result in someone being healed. But nevertheless, we're called to see the needs and to live as the people of Jesus in filling them in small, practical ways, in the ways that he has equipped us to do. Another way to put that is that we're meant to live out small acts of gospel faithfulness. Perhaps that means you know, cooking a meal for a sick neighbour down the street. Perhaps it means being present to listen to that person who always feels like they're unheard and who people will tell you, man, they're a waste of time to listen to. Remember, these aren't just random acts of kindness. Uh, they're gospel acts of kindness that we are called to. Our aim is the same as Jesus' aim, that more people would glorify God. That's what we read here. This woman who had been uh, listening to this message and had received the compassion of Jesus glorified God. So when we live in this way, at every chance we get, we point away from ourselves and back to Jesus, who is the reason and power behind our actions. You know, when generosity begs the question of why you do that, we point, we don't just say, oh, you know, we just like to do that, kind of, I just like to do that kind of thing. No, we, we point back to Jesus and we say, he's been generous to me. And that, that has changed my heart so that I'm generous to others. You know, when the unheard person tells you about the struggles that make them feel so empty inside, we don't point to our solutions to that problem of, you know, I can, I can help you, I can make that better. We, we point them to the Saviour who fills us. We tell them about the grace that was meant to fill us, about the relationship with God that was meant to be our fullness. Guys, these small acts of gospel faithfulness might seem little. You know, it might seem small to, to have your neighbour around to dinner or, or small to join a community organisation or it might seem small to cook a meal for a sick person or to lend your listening ears to a broken person. But we, the church, desperately need to hear what Jesus says today. The kingdom of God is like a tiny seed, a tiny moment of gospel faithfulness that grows into a great tree, a tree of refuge where the birds come and rest. Small acts of gospel faithfulness are how people come into the kingdom. In the end, they're how big gospel things happen. The kingdom of God is like living, hidden in the flower, so small you can barely see it. And yet it powerfully transforms the whole. The kingdom of God spreads 
when small people like us do small day-to-day acts of gospel faithfulness. Would you pray with me about this? Jesus, lead us in our day-to-day. Lord, I I feel the challenge of this, that uh, you call me to to day-to-day gospel faithfulness, to day-to-day acts of kindness, to day-to-day experiencing your goodness to me and expressing your goodness to others. And Lord, I feel my insufficiency. I feel my the fact that I'm not up to the task. And yet, Lord, that's that's not a bad thing. Because the place I belong is in needy dependence on you. And that's where I'm equipped to go to take that that, that goodness that you're pouring into me to others. So please, Lord, do that through your people here. Do that through the people listening today, whether they're here or not. We ask, Lord, that you will be building your kingdom here, that your kingdom would be growing in this place through the small acts of gospel faithfulness that point back to Jesus. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.